Hi there. Welcome to Everything Accordion, a podcast about the musical box known around the world as the accordion. My name is Gennady Rotari, and I will be your host on the show. On this podcast, you will hear a bit about the instrument's history, the different types of instruments of its very extended family, stories from and about accordionists, stories about contemporary music and historical works of its repertoire, discussions with colleagues from all over the world, interviews with prominent musicians, and much more. On today's episode of the podcast, it's my great pleasure to invite an accordionist, yet another accordionist who I don't know personally, and it's the first time that we actually talk. We have exchanged messages on Messenger, on Facebook, and so on. I'm very fascinated with all of the work that he has been doing and keeps on doing. He published lots of very insightful and informative books. He uh, he started actually a database of original accordion repertoire. The legend has it he also learned the Finnish language in a couple of months. So it's my great pleasure to invite this extraordinary musician who is Vincent Lerme. Hi, Vincent. How are you? And thank you for being on the podcast. Hi, Genedi. Thank you. Thank you for for uh, your invitation. It's a pleasure for me too to to be here with you. The pleasure is all mine. And you know, diving right into it, how how did you become an accordionist? How did you start? How did this happen? Yeah, I I, I think it started a bit. The, the professional way of being an accordionist started a bit like uh, let's say a, a mistake. It, it was not supposed to be. Um, I started to play the accordion at the age of six because my grandfather used to love uh, listening to the accordion. And I, I come from the central part of France where we have a very strong tradition of uh, popular music, of so-called musette uh, accordion. And at a very early age, I was very astonished by this kind of virtuosity associated with the accordion. So. This is how it started, but um, I have to say I was not very passionate uh, accordionist as a as a young student. I was not practicing very much, maybe fifteen minutes a week, uh, because at that time I was more uh, more in- interested in in history because I I wanted mm. to be to become uh, the director of museum. I I, st- I still have a very strong passion for the 17th century uh, in literature, painting and architecture, etc. And at the age of 16, I was supposed to go to Paris to study uh, Latin and ancient Greek. And I was participating to the Coupe Mondiale in 2003 in Slovakia, mm-hmm. I think. And there I heard a, a duo of, uh, of Russian accordionists. I remember the name of one, it was like Nikolai Sivchuk, I think something like that, and they mm-hmm. were they were playing uh, this uh, Nutcracker by by Tchaikovsky, and it was so beautiful. I, I felt like wow, this is what I want to do. I want to play this uh, what we used to call the classical accordion. Mm-hmm. Personally, I, I I now consider that everything should be called accordion, but it's maybe another another topic. But uh, yes, so at the age of 16, I received my free bass accordion and I started to practice like crazy. It was this kind of uh, revolution, you know, this kind of, uh, wow, mm-hmm. I want, I want to, to do that. So this is basically how it started. Wow. No, I relate very much to that because I have a similar story, you know, like for me, the accordion, especially in Moldova, that we have a very strong tradition of folk music, but yeah. somehow... I love listening to that music, but it's not something that I feel like playing. I don't feel the need, like the urge to play folk music. Like I know those four or five tunes, right? I'm not an expert. Like if you listen to people who have been studying this music, they're amazing, like they're incredibly great. But then I've heard Richard Galliano in Finland and I fell in love with the accordion because that's like, finally I saw the potential and what it could do, you know? And I simply like went outside and uh, yeah, I just wanted to start practicing like crazy. I wanted to find out everything about the world of accordion, like what's happening around. So 
Yeah, no, that's very fascinating. And I, again, I feel very related to this story. And but that's that's a very particular dream that you had as a young as a young man, having like wanting to be a museum director. I don't know that many people that wanted you know, <laughs> to be no, those, no, no. those children. Uh, I think that uh, the since the accordion is um, this kind of chameleon instrument, I think it ga it gathers also chameleon-like personalities. You, you you can find a diversity of of personalities, and I think that's what uh, is exciting. But uh, I, I still relate very much to, to the history. For me, the, the, the knowing as much as possible of the history of the roots, the roots in the plural, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I insist. Uh, I think it's very important to, uh, as a search for identity, like who, who we are and how we relate to the other cultures. And I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very important. Mm -hmm. oh, definitely. And I think this love that you have for the 17th century in general, you express it also for one of your projects, right? With Yola da Gamba and, uh, and Baroque violin. And we, we will talk about this in like a bit. So okay. uh, I'm very curious about this because you also released a new CD recently, right? It was July. Yes. So I'm very curious to know about that. But okay, so you're 16, you heard this duo, came back home, started practicing. What happened afterwards? Well, I met um, Jacques Mornet, who has been and still quite, quite involved in the, what we call the, the competition world in the accordion. And actually his school was located like uh, less than an hour by car from my home. So I used to go to receive master classes there. And he taught me this very important thing, I think, that it's to be able to play in whatever situation. Like if your chair is bad, if the acoustics is bad of the whole, whatever, you need to be ready and you, you need to be mentally strong. So with him, of course, I, I used to, to participate in lots of competitions. And there, I have to say that it was marvelous for two, three years, because I met almost like, um, I have a friend in almost any country in the world, thanks to those competitions. And especially with the East of Europe, like um, Russia. And I have a, a very special uh, affection to the, to the people of the Balkans, like many, many people. And, and we, we, we participated to many contests and we, we brought a, this kind of amount of scores to each other, like, hey, this is, I copied this for you. And it, it was marvelous for, for this. The results, I think we didn't care very much, but this, we were like, like a team, in fact. And still today, I have many friends, many strong friends in, in many countries of the world, and, and it, it comes from this time. But uh, of course, uh, I, I was very, very much interested in, um, in having an education Kind of academic education so I, I was studying uh, this kind of uh, analysis history of music and and at some point I, I I met many people in France who encouraged me to go a bit out of our country and uh, so I met uh, Matti Rantanen at the Moscow competition in 2005 and I was uh, I, I, I loved his way of um, of being as a, as a human being and, as, and a musician is like putting no barrier between folk tradition and the contemporary music one. Because uh, in, in Finland, it's true that it's very natural to play what, whatever you feel like deeply. So 2007, I, I went to Finland uh, to, to study for, for, for five years, yeah. Wow, now that's incredible. And what you were saying about the competitions, I would like to kind of stress again this point. It's not about competing, right? Well, it is because in some sense it's a competition, but it's also, it should be taken with this spirit and this attitude that you were saying, meeting people, seeing, hearing and trying to learn and see what's around you and kind of make friendships. Uh, you know, in all of these environments. Of course, 
it's a very stressful thing. You go, you prepare for one year to this competition. And to all of the young listeners of this episode and of, of the podcast in general, the competitions are to be taken with the right spirit, right? It's not yeah. about winning. It's more about putting yourself to the test in a way mm-hmm. and then getting some learning experience out of it. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And then you said you went to, to the Sibelius Academy. You did your bachelor's and master's degree there or? Yeah, all of mm-hmm. them. Five, five years studying mm-hmm. in Finland. Mm-hmm. And, and what's, uh, what's this legend? Because when I was in, uh, in Helsinki, uh, the guys there, I was in Erasmus, also with Mati Rantanen. And like you were a legend there because you've learned Finnish in like a matter of months. And even now I see sometimes you post comments in Finnish, right, yeah. on Facebook. How, how did you do that? Because for me, I like languages. I speak five of them, like not to brag, but, you know, but when I arrived to Finland, I had the chance to take it as an extra subject. And I made a conscious choice of not learning Finnish in four or five months because the chances of meeting a Finn in the world and speaking to them in Finnish is very small, right? Yeah. So what, what, what was your uh, motivation to learn that language? Well, I think in my case, it was a bit different because when you start a, a degree, it's you think, okay, a bachelor will be at least three years and probably I will continue my master's there. So I felt, well, this is, this is something that I have since a very early age and is that I really believe that if you want to, to understand another, another culture than yours, you need to learn the language. It's the only way to touch people's heart, to understand deeply. But of course, when you stay uh, six months in a country, the Finnish language is a horribly difficult one. And I have to say that I, I practiced the language a bit with a book, like in, in July. And then I started my education there in September. But after six months, it's true that I asked Matti to have every lesson in Finnish. But... but I couldn't manage incredibly much. Of course, you, you have mm-hmm. to be the principle of legends. It's like that it's always exaggerated. It took me very much. It, it took me like three years to be able to, to manage. But I was also practicing vocabulary at home during the summer, learning, 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 learning. So wow. because I, I really wanted to, to manage. Mm-hmm. And I have to say with a, con- a culture, so specific than the Finnish one, um, I still have contact with them because of the language. Otherwise, I would not, I would have probably missed something. The second mm-hmm. reason is that uh, the Sibelius Academy offered until then um, an education in, in English for, for international students, but you could not access to the variety of the, um, the subjects I started the kind of main degree in uh, uh, harmony counterpoint music theory, and there it was only in Finnish. So if you wanted mm. to do that, it was compulsory. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the, the 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 masters of pedagogy there was possible to have only in Finnish, and I absolutely needed this document, this this degree for to come back to France. Nowadays mm-hmm. it's it's more it's more simple because they they have it in English too. But okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, like having that determination of accessing, you know, like bigger variety and of courses and subjects and actually like having a plan because, you know, it's not like you were in your third year of bachelor degree and you're like, oh, no, wait, I need to learn the language if I want to do a master. Like, you know, you you kind of thought about that beforehand. And I love a lot what you're saying about knowing the culture right because like when when you actually start seeing how the language functions you can almost instantly understand how the people think in their minds right because it's like maybe english is now very linear but it's also quite image focused like you would have all of those comparisons very image like 
Italian is more sing-like, fluid, and yeah. you know these kind of things. And then you see the Italian people, and Russians are very, you know, more in in a different way, and you can actually understand more of the culture. So I love that. It's really great. So you've done your degrees in Helsinki. You came back to France, and yeah. you're, I think, the first one who did a PhD in Paris in accordion, right? Yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. Well, in in um, in 2009, they opened in Paris the the doctoral degree for interpreters because, of course, there are other accordionists who who got a degree, but in musicology, so not with mm. the per- performance. Uh, line. So in 2012, I, I applied, I, I got my master's and I, I applied and I, I started the, the degree there. It took about four years. And uh, I, I have to say that I, I spent lots of time in, in researching in, because I wanted to collect uh, information that has in order to, to bring tools to the community. Let's say we could call that uh, legitimation tools because I had this feeling uh, after Finland that, that the, the, the accordion was uh, an instrument very well recognized. We, our generation does not feel the same, um, let's say problems or uh, mm-hmm. like the, the others in, in the recognition of the instrument. But there were still these kind of phrases that that came from a kind of uh, collective unconscious. There's like, oh, the poor instrument, poor accordion. We have no repertoire. We have not. We have. We are so mm-hmm. poor that we have nothing. But we we have. It's it was like unbelievable what, mm-hmm. what we had. So you're saying that the accordion community was kind of saying that we we don't have repertoire. We're yes. so not recognized. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this kind of com- complaint, but no, no act. So I felt that okay, it was not I, resembling the reality. In no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, no. I, I, I felt like it was um, important to, to stand, the, the, to assert ourselves and to say, okay, the accordion is, the accordion is. We don't have to prove that we exist because we exist, and we just have to, to let things go. So that's why I, I. I created these uh, few few do- documents to to check to to make a kind of geography uh, as for the the pieces. So the, the database, the Ricordo Futuro database, we did it um, with with Fanny Vicens, who is a, a very passionate uh, accordionist too, uh, and we spent three years in collecting informations and. Uh, so nowadays we the, the database gathers more than 10,000 works which is mm-hmm. quite which is incredible it's really like i remember seeing when it launched i immediately plunged into it to see like all of the new things and it was in amazing the quantity of works i never heard of or you know like it's it's normal but you cannot like before like in the 70s or 80s if you had let's say gubaidulina writing a piece that's that's the piece you know that was yeah. written that year now it's so much and there's such a huge amount of people writing for the instrument you cannot actually keep track of what's happening no 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 and it's it, it's really amazing so for the listeners if you don't know the database look up the ricordo al futuro database you will find also the link in the description of the channel and check it out it's really impressive yeah, then then this this database is um, it has lots of works, but it's it, let's say that it's more um, an informative database. Of course, we cannot put any recordings, any scores because there are rights problems. Of course, so it's it's up. It's like a tool, and like any tools, it needs the um, a kind of method from the the people who seek for information to to do something out of it, because okay. We have more than 10,000, uh, I think the, the, the update, uh, 2021 update will be, will be published soon. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 10,700 or 800 works. But what, what do we do out of it? And this is probably the, the most important because 
honestly, I don't know all of those works. Of course, <laughs> like it's not, it's not, but it's really great that you have a catalog because for example, if I were to, let's say I have a accordion and piano duo and like the amount of works which I can search on the internet also, it's not, maybe I'll find four works at most. But if I go into this huge catalog, and what I like about it is that you are not using some kind of, let's call it quote unquote, judgmental principle, because mm -hmm. it's not about choosing if a work is worth you yeah. know, being performed or something that's not up to you or up to, like it's up to the performer, maybe. I don't like Berio's Sequenza, which I love, but maybe I don't like it and I would like to play something else. Like, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So then like, it's my choice. Say, I know it exists. I see it's there. It doesn't interest me. I'm going to go and look for another work. And yes. that's something that I like that, you know, you just put it out there for the mm -hmm. people to see. And then if you really want the work, you either contact the composer you contact the publisher, you can buy the score, you, you know, there's plenty of things, but knowing that it's there, that's yeah. like the first step, you know, and yeah. it's very important. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, completely true. <laughs> also, another catalog, which I remember you did, was this um, catalog of uh, higher accordion education, right? Yes, because exactly. The very, it was also very useful, you know, for accordionists, instead of, you know, knowing four or five places around Europe, like, I remember I discovered so many other places where accordion is actually taught that I didn't know before. And yeah. for a young student who is choosing where to go to study bachelor's or master's degree, instead of, you know, moving to some country like 500 kilometers away, maybe you have a place 50 kilometers away from you. And yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. It's fair. It's true that, I mean, the, the, this was published in 2014, so already seven years there has been some ch changes in the list of professors of course but it's it's life but the, the reason i did that was i mean the starting point was I, I wanted to know what kind of repertoire was performed in the higher level education so i did this list in order to contact teachers to have the, the list of of repertoire played in the masters to to be able to check what kind of uh, contemporary repertoire was performed and etc and there and then the, the there was a kind of um, the, the idea of be as objective as possible because i have to say that now for my own students in at the academy when they ask me where to go i i never tell them where to go but i tell them you you go to this list you listen to the professors and then you give me a short list and we discuss mm -hmm. because I think it's 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 better to work like this because the, the students nowadays are more focused on the internet who who has 50 videos on his YouTube channel and then another professor who has probably less videos but who plays marvelously so this professor would be less good than the other one you, you know this kind of, of thing so I it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not always easy. It's a different yeah. way of choosing, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. now I completely agree. Like I remember, and you know, sometimes like you've had maybe some experiences, but it's not true that your student will have the same experiences as you with that particular professor, right? No. Positive or negative as they can be. So, you know, it's uh, if they go and say, Maybe this is something that I would really love to, you know, learn from that yeah. professor. Yeah. And then you can discuss and say, okay, but, you know, he focuses on this thing. Perhaps you should consider also like talking to this professor because he can focuses on something that you might need technically or musically. And, yeah. you know, this is a very intelligent also way of making them uh, do an independent and informed choice. Exactly. Not like they, they jump yeah. into it, you know. It's the, I think it's it's the most important as a as a person and and uh, an interpreter to to do your own choice and when the choice is yours it's always a good one I think it's I I also published two years ago the same thing for France hmm. the, the the list of um, uh, conservatoires uh, providing the the accordion education and it's 
it was also quite interesting to to see them how how things have been developed in our country compared to the others it's uh, yeah how many how many conservatories are there in france that offer accordion i think if i recall <laughs> that that's because you know with the, i have the feeling that with the pandemics with this half one and a half years that has passed mm-hmm. things that have changed, have changed yeah. mm-hmm. but there are about 120 classes of accordion in in france in music schools public mm-hmm. music schools and and conservatoires wow, wow which re- represents it's about 49% of the public conservatoires and music schools which is not high it's not a high rate if you compare to poland it's 90% in poland for example mm-hmm. okay but so in poland i think they also have less conservatories right like we have maybe four or five. I'm not yes. very informed, but and if but each in the, offers, then the percentage kind of you know grows. But yeah, yeah, it's it's true, it's true. But but uh, on, on on the amount of the country, if all the music schools offer the accordion, it's not the same that only if half half of them offers it because true. that you can lose um, the interest of of small people who want to play accordion and they cannot. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, completely true. Yeah, yeah. Wow, no, that's it's really amazing. Like, I don't know in Italy how how the percentages are because like Italy has more than seventy conservatories, and I think not maybe twenty five of those offer accordion twenty okay. maybe, and like the music schools as well, it's not very present you know okay okay Still, but it's it's very fragmented and very divided kind of a yes. bit like the accordion world in some sense but you know what yeah. you are what you are doing what other people are doing our colleagues you know are trying to bring all of this information together so we can all contribute and share it yes so kind of the idea of this podcast was also to gather the things that all everyone is doing so that you know you can hear firsthand from the person involved like the database and yeah. somebody doing a research on uh working with composers or working with your body or how how are you perceiving interpretation on stage so yeah. you know it's it's all it's all very fascinating and it's all very interesting and yeah it's yeah. true it's true so Vincent Thank you very much for your work that you're doing. It's incredible. So I think it's really, really great that, you know, you actually sat down and said, you know what, I'm going to do this list and I'm going to publish it and share it with other accordionists that they can also kind of benefit and, yeah, find find information, useful information in that. It's really amazing. Cool. So let's now go towards your projects and interpretations. Let's talk a bit about, you are somebody who works a lot with composers. Yes. And recently you did two huge projects, which I remember seeing on on various social medias. One was Cantares Mexicanos, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, super original. And the one you premiered a new concerto by Gerard Pesson. Yes, exactly. This year. When yeah. we were still kind of closed, not sure, are we starting to play something? Are we doing stuff? Which one of these would you like to talk about first? Let, let's let's start with with Cantares Mexicanos, maybe. Okay. It's uh, it's also dealing with with languages, <laughs> Cantares Mexicanos. I was invited five years ago in in Mexico to to play with an orchestra over there. And I got completely astonished both by the writing of the Mexican contemporary composers and the, um, the Aztec inheritance and the pre-Hispanic inheritance. For me, it was like this kind of world that we do, do not have in Europe, um, this kind of energy that I have found in Finland. And it was also dealing with how how we we, we conceive nowadays the colonialism or the, the post-colonialism or this kind of, of things, the identity, the it's a very complex uh, topic. So I, I uh, this this CD is basically seven works by Mexican composers, some of them premiered by Eva Zöllner, who is a great uh, German accordionist, and some of them 
that I commissioned. And they were supposed to go with a text in the Aztec language, which is called the Nahuatl, uh, still spoken today. And it's a text in five parts that was uh, um, said by one, one guy uh, of our age, who is originally for, uh, from a, a, an Aztec community uh, of Mexico. And they were also translated into Spanish. So we had wow. a, a very huge tour. And, and I have to say, it opened lots of thoughts about the, the, the colonization. Because after studying in Finland, you know, Finland is a, is a country that has been, let's say, colonialized two times. Uh, until uh, 1809 by Sweden and, and then by Russia until uh, mm -hmm. 1917. Yeah, and France, cool. France has been also a colonizer country. So how, how do you, you deal in the both, both ways with this, um, with this thing? It's a very, a very mm. complex topic. And with, yeah. with Mexico, I, I, I learned lots, lots of things that I, I didn't suppose before. Mm -hmm. I think especially coming from, as you were saying, you know, because thinking about colonialism and suppression of cultures and traditions and so on. And especially, I think, coming from the country that did that to other cultures, mm -hmm. that's a very strong point and a very strong feeling, because how do you deal with not only the heritage that you know was left but also like all the people who started it yeah exactly exactly yeah no it's wow it's Wait. very very full of emotions this project very and to to be in contact with these so ancient cultures oh wow mm. you feel like uh <laughs> you feel yeah very small. Like a grain of sand in, on, on, yeah. on a huge beach in the ocean. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Amazing. Where can people hear it? Well, it's, it's on Spotify, on all, all social, uh, like digital platforms. It's, it's available. available. Mm -hmm. And it's very, for me, when I listen to this language, I feel a, a connection to the music. The music is very earthy, it's full of ground is is very metallic uh, telluric it's it's like explosive and and sometimes when i see our european country music i feel that this music has lost so much of vibrations it's i, mm. I don't say that all the european music is flat not at all there are many yeah, yeah, no, no. amazing composers but sometimes there is the tendency to focus only on technique or uh, do I put quarter tones or do I um, push the bellow or, you know, we don't mm -hmm. care about this. We, we want yeah. to, to, to feel the expression of, uh, of things. So, mm -hmm. but I do, why, why do you think that is? Because my take on that is that we got so focused on, it has to be new, right? But we're kind of trying to run away from tradition and everything that was before. And I agree that sometimes it's kind of sterile to, you know yeah it's either like lots of techniques and everything but when you take those away like the bellows shake and the pitch banding and yeah. mm, click noises like what is left what is there you know like what's the base idea towards that yes yes so in, in one of the previous episodes i think I, i've said that what i found about finnish music is they kind of being where they are between the east and the west mm -hmm. they kind of took the two things fused them together and created their own style because it kind of sounds a bit as you're saying earthy and you know a bit very present and that's mm -hmm. i think the more russian kind of traditional heritage with mm -hmm. orchestras and big chords and so on but at the same time they're very forward looking and thinking avant-garde right in that sense because they're not kind of stopping or try running around that tradition they're building upon it and i think something which is very representative what's happening in finland is that you would have the sibelius academy also the study of the traditional music yeah. and they actually write their own music which is contemporary it's modern but it is folk music yeah 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 yeah. i see yeah I, I i agree i agree i think that 
the most important is to 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 speak probably in a, in an aesthetical way more than the link with the past because the link with the past is also dangerous in in a way that what is the origin of this past what is the origin of a tradition sometimes mm. the tradition has been completely is fake sometimes uh, then we have this this debate of consonant music or dissonant music I think that both are fine if there is an, an aesthetical concept be behind. And of course, if we think of um, this kind of Pandora's box, like uh, I, I'm going to, to put in my piece anything that you can do with the accordion, this is technique. It's not, I think it's, um, it's not enough to become an art. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it should be like a, a tool towards an end, you know, like, yeah having the end result and I think very often it's kind of goes down to the question why am I doing what I'm doing right why am I writing music yeah, like exactly. what what do I have to say with it and if the answer is I don't know or you know if you're not sure but you're kind of searching for it then it's fine but if you're like yeah I don't know it's just you know felt felt like I'll do something Mm -hmm. I, yeah I don't know I'm not a composer myself I don't feel the need to write music I feel the need to perform music yeah, yeah like I asked myself very often and I think very recently I found the question like the answer to the why am I doing music and yeah I think it's very useful to kind of check with yourself and ask yourself like why am I doing what I'm doing so yeah yeah exactly exactly mm. <laughs> so then from Cantares Mexicanos we go to the new concerto by Gerard yes. Pesson could, could you talk about this new concerto because he is a very well-known composer and it's always think a rather huge event when some some very well-known composer writes a concerto with the accordion as a solo instrument, right? Yeah, it's true. It's it's uh, the, the the concerto was commissioned uh, six years ago, or five, a bit, I think 2016, uh, just after my my PhD graduation, and uh, I was proposed to choose the the composer I want to write a concerto. So it's you know when you you have to propose one person who should yeah. it be no I, I was put in yeah. that situation and it's it's really like ah okay i'm gonna send a short list of three people which i would really love to commission and then you know only one will get it's it's, it's a terrible thing to <laughs> kind of choose exactly exactly it's but but then we 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 agreed on on gerard pesson and i i knew him of course because i i I, I performed uh, his music earlier and we, we've had already a, a friendship re relation. And um, the process was very unique with him because we had lots of dinners and uh, meetings where he wanted to approach a bit of my, my, my personality, both as a, as a human being and, and, and as, a, as an accordionist. So he he knew the recordings and so he 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 did like um, he composed a concerto like really what we call in French adressé. There is this kind of address, this this movement towards the the interpreter who is going to 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 play. Mm -hmm. So there there are uh, there is of course a kind of small aria in the concerto, ornamentated aria, which is. Uh, <laughs> A kind of um, blink to my to my child's passion, you know, the, the mm -hmm. baroque, baroque mm -hmm. time. So, um, and and uh, of course, the concerto was uh, planned to be premiered in 2020. Of course, cancelled due to the pandemics. But in 2021, uh, the Monaco little state kept organizing concerts with the very important restrictions, sanitary restrictions, and we managed to, to premiere the, the concerto with a, a wonderful conductor, François-Xavier Roth, and his, his orchestra, Les Siècles. So it was in April, last, last April in, in Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. Wow, great. How do you approach learning a concerto? Hmm. 
it's a very, I, I would say that there are two ways to approach a concerto. The simpler way is when the concerto has already been recorded, so you can get familiar with the orchestral part, which is, I mean, the, already your own part is something very difficult, but it has to match with an orchestral part. It's like a, it's like a tissue. It's a, mm -hmm. you know, it's very. So in this case, it's okay. Like I did in the past with re registered. Uh, with recorded concertos, you, you play, then you can play with a recording and it's, it's okay. But in this way, I, I kind of learned the, the score, but yet at the first rehearsal, you feel completely naked because you, you discover, like, oh, because you, you, you imagine, but you, the, the orchestration, the, 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 the dynamics, the balance, the, you know that you have to play with the with the harp, but the, the harp does only gling gling. So mm -hmm. in fact, you don't hear. Oh no no! I, I have to focus with another instrument. With bon. so it's a, it's a, it was kind of hard since we we live in a in a world where time does not exist anymore or the 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 deepness of time. Let's say so you you have three hours of rehearsal plus the concert. Mm. So you you have to manage. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's kind of kind of like survival mode, right? Like yeah. you go into it, you've yeah. practiced, and yeah, no, I completely agree with this thing. Like when you when you start looking into the score, and you're like, okay, so I'm playing with that section of the instruments, yeah. you know, and then it's like, wait, did they did they hear that? Was it there? And maybe it was. Maybe you know, that's completely different thing but do you enjoy playing more like the already pre-recorded concertos or do you enjoy kind of discovering the new unrecorded well, I, I, things i like both but i think that in the case of a concerto it's like a, a secret that you you unveil you know you you have mm. the score and you you have the privilege you're the only one to to have this mm -hmm. and uh, it's, I think that until, let's say, the, the two O's, the accordionist had an immense privilege, is uh, not too much tradition in playing the repertoire. So you had, mm. you had mm -hmm. to, to invent your own interpretation. But nowadays, when you, you, you speak about uh, uh, like a great piece like Melodia by Tosho Hosokawa or Je Dange by Lindbergh or... or Goodbye, Dulina de Profundis, or, or um, Berio Sequenza. You have so many recordings, and lots of people just copy into interpretations without uh, having the first look at the score. And then Melodia by Hosokawa becomes a kind of uh, I count, it's, it's slow, I count, but the, the purpose of that music is not there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so yeah. so I, I think that this may be the. the the link between early music and contemporary music is to, to have always a fresh connection to the score or to the music too. And then you, you can listen to recordings because it's, it's very inspiring uh, most of sure. the time to listen mm -hmm. to, to div diverse, um, diverse way of, uh, of proposing an interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of pivoting from what you said about Baroque and contemporary music. Let's talk about this, another project that you have. I'm sorry for my pronunciation, Les Inatendu. Yeah. 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 Perfect, perfect. So it's uh, accordion, viola da gamba, and Baroque violin. How, how did you come up with this idea? Because, you know, like you would have the eternal kind of debate between philological, not philological. And here you have the, like the two worlds blended together, like the modern accordion and the Baroque, uh, Baroque era instruments, right? Mm -hmm. how, how did you come up with this idea? And talk about your new CD that yes. was released. Well, we, it's, it's a project. At, at the beginning, it's a duo project with... Uh, Viola da Gamba player Marianne Muller. Uh, it started five years ago. We have released uh, in 2018 a, a first CD uh, called Poetical Humors and, and based on Elizabethan music, English uh, Renaissance music. And uh, I have to say, it, it has always been a dream for me to play with uh, early instruments because probably um, 
I've never been interested too much in the accordion as uh, a soldier instrument, let's say, or Kalashnikov instrument. Well, I, I, I don't feel the need to prove that I exist. Mm-hmm. It comes from that, but I'm as happy if my instrument is soloist or if it melts with the others. I like to listen to the others and, and to respond to them. So probably this, this uh, world of sounds where you cannot just do like blah, you have to, to come to another world. So we, we started with this and, and I always wanted to, to perform the, the art of fugue, the ent- entire uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the, the, the program of the, the new release under Harmonia Mundi, like uh, it was released on, on July 2nd. Mm-hmm. And we added a, a baroque violin because you, you have four voices. So one with the viola da gamba, two with the accordion, and one with the baroque violin. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of very long trip to, uh, among this, this work. Um, actually, the, the idea came from a CD by um, Ivan Koval. I have a, a very good friend of mine, a Slovenian called Klemen Leben, who offered me a copy of the, the Art of Fugue CD solo by Ivan Koval, where he, he played only the, the four voices counterpoints, if my, mm-hmm. not, not the duos, but, and in the booklet, he, he told that he, he, he played them with uh, uh, violin and cello. Mm. I tried mm-hmm. with, with modern instruments, but for me, something was not um, perfectly uh, convenient to, mm-hmm. to go to this music. So, so that's why we, we did it with, uh, with Baroque instruments. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where, where can people listen to it? Is it again on Spotify? Yeah, it's, uh, the, okay. it's absolutely everywhere in any countries of the world you can find mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so for the listeners, head on, and I'll also listen to the CD. I still didn't listen to it because I'm kind of not not still in the vacation mood. (laughs) I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to listen to all of the CDs that came out now. I have a list, actually. I'll be listening to lots of music this summer. So go to Vincent's website. You'll find the link in the description and also check out everything that he's doing. It's really a lot, lots of cool projects and of all of his CDs on Spotify, which are really great. And a question, what would you, let, let's put it like that. Like if you were to encounter yourself now as a young accordionist, as a student of like 15 years, right? 15 years old, what would your advice be? If, if I was uh, meeting myself. Yeah, you, you meet yourself like now you meet a 15 year old version of yourself, right? Yeah. Like what, what would your advice be to that 15 year old version? Hmm. I guess that I, I have this, um, maybe the specificity of, of always knowing what I want. So I would, I would ask him or myself, like, is this what you deeply want to do? And I would, I would tell him, like, go. I think it's, it's so important to, to do what we really feel like. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, would, I would recommend him to do what he feels like playing and, and doing. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, basically. So be more confident in your kind of gut feelings and not yeah. Stay in doubt too much about will it work? Will it not work? Like, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Just yeah, but uh, I think that the, the the there is always an intuition of things that we feel like doing. But we it's also important to 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 relate to the world because all ideas have to be thought a lot because many ideas are are bad. We we just we have many ideas. And it's not because I have an idea that it will work. So sometimes it's always better to, to, to be guided, to read things, to listen to the others, to, to check things. Because sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm the first one who did this, but <laughs> some people did it for 40 years ago. So uh, mm. 
how how do we do we do how how can we be in a in in a tradition uh, how do we re we relate to the others mm -hmm. now, this reminds me of um, i don't remember which webinar seminar i've heard from um he, he was not an economist but he was somebody working in the marketing fields and you know in, in the sales industry and so on and he was saying about choices like make the important choices with your heart make the small choices with your head yeah so if you buy a house for example this house you shouldn't be thinking oh okay it costs that much maybe in 10 years it will cost that much and then maybe i can make some money off of it and maybe i can do this and maybe you know like he said the, the, the house which you want to buy like the choice which you want to make needs to make you have a feeling that you want to dance and be happy yeah, about it yeah yeah right so also like when you find the person you love or you know you propose marriage it's not like you have to think about it too much like you have yeah. a feeling that it's that person right so the small choices are kind of like what car to buy what insurance to pay and so on yeah. so these are like the smaller one but everyone is different but again like the, the bigger choices with the yeah. heart and the small choices with, with your head, so. Yeah, you're right. And I think that the word uh, happiness that you just told is probably one of the most important thing. Yeah, I came across this, this thing uh, I've been doing on Instagram, this Inspiration Monday post. Not, not as much maybe for the other people that maybe might need a bit of motivation on Monday, because for me, Monday is always a bit difficult to start the week. But also for me, you know, and I, I don't remember who said, I found this beautiful quote, that success is not the key to happiness. Yeah, happiness yeah. is the key to success. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's, yeah, it's really like being happy about your choice and, you know, mm. that will give you the boost to kind of go forward. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. Yeah, you just get frustrated, stressed, and you don't really know where you're going with it. So mm -hmm. anything which you would like to kind of uh, plug in public, maybe some concerts that are coming up near you or near us? Yeah, there are many, many concerts and, and, and projects and, and, and many, many ideas. So let's see what the, what the, the future, future brings. What mm -hmm. the future brings, yeah. So the listeners can find everything on your website. You yeah, exactly. Everything there. Well, Anson, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It has been an immense pleasure and I wish you all the best and hopefully we'll see each other in person at some point to grab yeah. a beer or a coffee together. Yes, with pleasure. Thanks, you take care. Yes, you, you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Tune in in two weeks' time for another episode where I will be talking to some other guests from the accordion world. Some of you have asked, how can you support the podcast? There are two options. The first one is Patreon. So if you click on the link in the description of the episode, it will take you to Patreon, where you can donate a certain amount to either become a cool, awesome, or VIP-level patron, or you can head on to my website, gennadyrotare.com community. In the community section, you will find the patrons and the supporters page. This way, you will support the podcast and the creation of the episodes. Thank you very much for listening and see you soon.